It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week our guest is Bo Emerson, who is a staff writer here at the AJC. Welcome, Bo. Thank you, Shane. So you are here today to tell us about a story you brought uh, to us about um, a new leader at the Civil Rights Museum. Is that right? Yes, she uh it's jill sabbat and uh she's actually been on hand since march i guess right but, um we we had uh some great conversation just the other day about some of the new things that they have planned there right and that was that's that's going to make for a pretty interesting story yeah so so the museum has been around for a few years now um it's it's five years five years yeah oh wow it seems like it was just, just yesterday I, it really does it's amazing when you think back uh that that it wasn't there for so long and now it is and it's it's a really cool facility too it's very cool and i i just walked through it again and in, in the course of talking to jill and uh the, it was packed with school kids from all over mm-hmm. the place, and uh, really, every time you see these exhibits there, they have a pretty big emotional impact. Right. And, I mean, it's just another addition to the, you know, all of the civil rights landmarks that we have here. Yeah, and, and but with the, with the added thing that it's very accessible, it's, uh, it's, it really, uh, uh, it's a self-winding exhibit. It's a self-winding museum, really. It tells you what it's all about without right. without having to be explained. Right. That's great. So so she's come in now, uh, been here since March, um, and she has some big plans for the museum, I guess, huh? Well, what it is is we talked about, uh, she comes from the Holocaust Museum where she was in charge of genocide prevention, which... Sounds like kind of a tall order. It really does. Uh, but uh, that uh, materialized from her earlier work with Dream for Darfur, where they essentially, uh, with a small group of people, including her and Mia Farrow, uh, sort of persuaded and pushed uh, China into uh, loosening up uh, their restrictions on a couple of things that made it possible for an international peacekeeping force to go into the Sudan. Wow. This gets kind of complicated, I suppose. Wow, but but I mean, it's amazing that that you know she's not it's this one young lady from uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Ramsey, New Jersey, uh, was able to do that. Yeah. I mean, with with a whole lot of other help. Yeah, from a variety it's of it's people. not something you expect to hear of of a new director of a museum that that she actually helped you know 
help prevent genocide. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason that uh, she is here partly is because she was the designer of the human rights side of the museum because it's, okay. you know, it's civil and human rights. And, and exactly. Yeah. The, it made for a kind of a... Uh, unwieldy title for the place, you know, the mm-hmm. National Center for Civil and Human Rights. It's sort of like the Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International yeah, Airport. Yes, but right. uh, the uh, but so she was the curator of the of the human rights side of it, and really that element of the of the center is the thing I think that makes it stand out from pretty much any other because it it bridges the connection between. Uh, Atlanta's civil rights history and sort of international human right. rights history and what, why Atlanta has served as sort of a, uh, an uh, exemplar and and its its uh, system has been sort of uh, copied elsewhere. Right, right. Well, that's great. Well, so um, so we're going to hear some of Bo's conversation with Jill Savitt, who is the new director. Is that correct? She's the new director, and she's taken the place in, a, in an interesting new direction. She is going to make it much more of a, uh, of a training ground for people who themselves want to become activists. She's not going to tell you what issue to choose, right. uh, but she's going to tell you how you can make it happen. And and it's not just her. I mean, she's got like a whole uh, crew, but they are, it's going to be basically be a school for activists. Awesome. Well, that's great. We're going to hear a little bit more from uh, Jill Savitt, uh, Bo Emerson's interview with her, and uh, we're going to learn more about the Center for Civil and Human Rights. What we, what we ought to be. We ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we gonna be. But thank God, we ain't what we want. I am Jill Savitt, and I am the CEO and President of the National Center for Civil and Human Rights. And when did you become that? I was, um, I was, uh, let's see, I got the job in December of 2018, and I started in March of 2019. So when the center was created, they knew they were always going to do a civil rights exhibit on the history of the civil rights movement with a focus on how Atlanta responded in particular. But the leaders at the time, in in particular uh, former Mayor Shirley Franklin, really it was very important to her that it not be just a history museum, that it had to have relevance for today, and we had to show how civil and human rights in the world today are faring, and what the movement that happened in the United States for African Americans, what that meant in the larger context of the world. And so I was invited by that original group that was planning the museum, um, the then CEO, my predecessor and friend Doug Shipman, uh, got a call from him. We didn't know each other, and he told me what they were looking for, which was someone to curate and tell the story of global human rights and what they are and how they are protected and who works for them. And, and so I became the curator of the top floor in the space. And the goal was, um, I find very often in the conversation about human rights, people get kind of tied up in the laws and it's complicated and what are human rights and how are they enforced. And that's the rights part of human rights. I tried to focus on the human part of human rights by telling the individual stories of people who are working right now, often at great personal risk, to bring change to the world, to protect people who are persecuted for some aspect of who they are or what they believe. So when I was nine, I was 
dragged to my brother's baseball games. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and they were both able to play in the Little League. And we all went on Saturday to watch their games, and usually it was one and then another. And I was a bench warmer there, just sitting on the, in the stands with my parents and expected to cheer for the boys. And I wanted to play. And I thought it was very unfair that I didn't get to play. They got to play, and I knew how to throw a ball, and I knew how to catch because I had two brothers, and that's what we did. And it seemed just weird that what we could do in our backyard at home, I wasn't allowed to do in a formal way like they were. So I told my parents that, I sign me up. Sign me up for baseball. And the league wasn't quite ready for a girl, so I made my best friend do it with me and then we found that there was one more girl in the league and so we got on teams and um, after playing for a while I realized that the boys not on my team who were they were used to me but boys on other teams were quite mean about there being a girl on the field Um, you know at the end of the game you traditionally shake hands with the opposing team you go down the line boys would spit on their hand before they shook my hand or they would call out to the position where I was and say oh a girl polluted (laughs) which is you know there's you could do hey batter batter hey batter batter swing which is not unfair to anyone that's sports but when you pick on one particular player on the other team and try and insult them Um, That just didn't seem right to me. So I wrote this letter to the editor of my local paper saying, this is going on. And um, if you would, there are three girls in the Little League, and you should write a story about us and tell especially the boys that we're equal to them. And this is your nine-year-old Jill Savage. This is my nine-year-old Jill Savage doing my first media advocacy. Uh I would look back on it later and realize... That's what I've done, and I've kind of been doing it ever since, is writing letters to the media, asking them to cover things in a particular way. So uh, a reporter came out and did eventually do a story on us, and that was an incredible feeling about how you can expose people to a larger cause. And what was just my teammates and maybe some of the families of the Little League knowing something to a community knowing something. And I think that was, this is all in retrospect, it had to have been, because of what resulted later, really important to who I would become. And uh, when you arrived uh, uh, at the center, uh, uh, we were um, uh, hosting uh, the Super Bowl, and uh, the center had a... uh, a, a wonderful exhibit. I'll talk about that. We did an exhibit a while ago. I would say four years ago, three or four years ago, called Breaking Barriers. And it's about human rights and sports. So one of the, the things about the center, just to back up two steps, is how do we popularize these issues? How do we make people who may not know they're interested in civil and human rights believe that they are interested in civil and human rights. And a way to do that is to find a topic that people are interested in and show that it has a rights backstory. So a few years ago, we did this traveling exhibition in partnership with ESPN called Breaking Barriers. And you know, around the world, you see the role of sports. There's Jackie Robinson is one of the most famous, but here in town, Hank Aaron, and a lot of people who have broken through either for race or sexual orientation or whatever their identity is. Women getting equal pay. I mean, these issues are still going on right now, as we see from the women's team in soccer. 
Um, but we decided to use the lens of sports to tell a rights story. And when the Super Bowl was coming to Atlanta, we remounted it in the center because we thought, here's we're going to get all this attention. The world's eyes will be on Atlanta. Atlanta prides itself, and rightly so, as the birthplace of civil rights in America. And so we want to show off how this event, the Super Bowl, has an intersection with human rights, although they didn't need just us to do it because the National Football League had been experiencing an issue about rights and um, sports in the form of you know kneeling during the, the protest movement to kneel during the national anthem to protest police brutality against the African-American community. And so uh, that, uh, that brought a lot of people also to the center. Yes, um, it did. The, your, uh, you had, what was, your, what was your attendance at that? Well, that brought people to the center, but the generosity of Coca-Cola brought even more people to the center in that they underwrote um, a month of free visits for anyone who wanted to come. So from the Super Bowl, which is the end, which was at the beginning of February, through the end of February, which is also Black History Month, they underwrote the admission of anyone who wanted to come to the center. And where on a typical month we will have 16,000 people come to the center, that month we had 60,000 people mm -hmm. come to the center. So it does make us reassess the ticket price that we charge, which is, I mean, we would love one day to be so financially sustainable that we could either lower or eliminate our ticket, especially for young people. I think that would be an amazing thing. I come from a museum in Washington, D.C., where all of the museums are free. So I think those numbers show we could reach so many more people who want to come if we could do something about our ticket price. The hunger, which is just so gratifying that the hunger is there. So how are you going to do that? raise a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> we have to raise more money. Um, which leads me to something that you asked me before. We right now are in the process of figuring, now that we're five years old, what we want to be in the future and how we want to grow and what our ultimate aspiration is. And what we've been up until now, and I think done really well, is we've been um, a museum. And we've got that down. We now want to grow so that we go from being really in a museum of immersive and powerful storytelling that inspires people and I really do believe transforms them to a cultural campus. That is what we want to become. And the cultural center or cultural campus would be one whose mission is to safeguard democracy and democratic ideals, which rights are the foundation of. It's not just in the United States, but in countries around the world where I think it once seemed unthinkable that there is severe backsliding and democratic decline. We see people are really out of practice in what it means to be a responsible and engaged member of a society. And not just the rights that people have, but the responsibilities they have to uphold this very fragile thing that is democracy. And rights are the answer to that. And so we are expanding our work. We have fantastic exhibitions and occasional temporary exhibitions that tell amazing stories. And the other areas that we want to explore are education, how we reach more young people with this content through curricular materials, teacher training, um, different ways to explore this history. We want to engage people with courses that we offer at the center, with performances, with um, 
reaching different constituencies like the youngest among us, 10 and younger, young professionals, college students, you know, college kids are the heroes of the stories we tell, especially the civil rights movement. They are the heroic protagonists. And I think we could reach college kids with that message. And then we want to have sort of a, there are think tanks, we want to have a do tank, an innovation lab, where we actually train people in the skills of advocacy. As a, as a longtime human rights campaigner, I look out around the world and I see hashtags and marches and lawn signs. And those are good, but they are not sufficient if you're actually going to make change. It's just not how it works. And so we want to teach people that uh, advocacy, human rights advocacy, is a skill and it's a learnable skill. And so we want to open up a training academy, almost a boot camp, to train people in how you do productive, effective human rights advocacy. So that would be the do part of it. And those four things, exhibitions, education, engagement, and if we're going to have a fourth E, because who doesn't like alliteration, experimentation. How do we, and innovation, and doing, how do we teach people how to do this work? Now, how do you go, uh, grapple with uh, sort of the political overtones in a time that is incredibly politically uh, polarized uh, right now, uh, that, that are so many different kinds of human rights issues are connected to immigration, for example? Right. So I think um, right now immigration is it's so red hot in the world, it's hard to have a productive conversation about it. So the center is organizing this fall um, a mission, which is a typical thing that a human rights group does to the southern border of the United States, uh, to McAllen, Texas. And we're going to take a group of people from Atlanta and National, who are friends of the center, to go see for themselves. Because there is nothing like seeing with your own eyes to understand a situation. So we're going to do a fact-finding mission um, to the southern border. We're also going to have that group go to um, Lumpkin, Georgia, where the Stewart Detention Center is, and take a look at what it looks like in our own context, and also out to Clarkston to talk to refugees and see what their experience is. And we're going to start to make people aware in a very human, connected way to what this issue is. Uh, we'll bring a photographer with us on the mission, and then we'll do an exhibition at the center on what we see. We'll hold public programs and we'll develop a better understanding because we will have been eyewitnesses um, to communicate to the larger Atlanta and Georgia and national community what we've seen and what we think about it. I mean, it is clear from a human rights perspective that the United States is not in compliance with our international obligations related to refugees and asylum seekers. We are out of compliance. So we have to come to terms with that and talk about what that means and what can be done. This has been very instructive for, for all of us here. So I very much appreciate you taking, As taking more time with me. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days.
If you're excited about the upcoming feature film version of the long-running musical Cats, the Fox Theater is offering up an opportunity to get one more look at the stage production of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical as the touring show comes to Atlanta August 6th through the 11th. The tuneful feline tale is based on poems by T.S. Eliot and was a massive hit in both London's West End and on Broadway. The upcoming film version looks like a very different beast with its computer-generated graphics and freedom from the original stage setting. It also boasts some big-name stars from Taylor Swift to Sir Ian McKellen. The stage version of Cats pounces on the Fox Theater from August 6th through the 11th and tickets are $35 to $145.25. Get all the details at foxtheater.org. Town Center Park's August Concert and Wing Festival comes to Sewanee on August 10. Headlining the festival this year is the Smithereens, who were responsible for some memorable late 80s songs, such as Behind the Wall of Sleep and A Girl Like You. Sadly, frontman and primary songwriter Pat Denizio died in 2017, but the band has continued touring. On the current tour, the New Jersey-born band has brought in another brilliant and underappreciated singer-songwriter, Marshall Crenshaw, to handle vocal duties. The best part of the August Concert and Wing Festival is that admission is free. The event starts at 5.30 p.m. August 10th, with the Smithereens and Marshall Crenshaw set to take the stage at 8 p.m. at Suwannee's Town Center Park. For more info, head to suwannee.com. Decatur Barbecue Blues and Bluegrass Festival is on the move this year. After many years in Harmony Park in Oakhurst, the fest moves to the new Legacy Park at 500 South Columbia Drive in Decatur. In addition to lots of tasty barbecue, the event will offer seven hours of music, including sets from Randall Bramblett and Sandra Hall. Check out the family-friendly fun at the 19th Annual Decatur Barbecue Blues and Bluegrass Festival from 1 to 9 p.m. on August 10th. Tickets are $15, but ages 12 and younger are free. It's all happening at Decatur's Legacy Park at 500 South Columbia Drive. Go to DecaturBBQFestival.com for all the details. Get a blast from the past as 90s R&B hitmakers Drew Hill, Silk, and Genuine come to the Mabel House Barnes Amphitheater in Mableton, bringing a big batch of hits. Baltimore's Drew Hill scored three top ten hits, including In My Bed and How Deep Is Your Love. Atlanta's own Silk is best known for the 1993 number one hit Freak Me. Grammy winner Genuine placed three songs in the top ten too, beginning with Pony in 1996. Take a nostalgic trip back to the last decade of the 20th century with Drew Hill, Silk, and Genuine at the Mabel House Barnes Amphitheater beginning at 7 p.m. August 10th. Tickets are $46 to $66, and you can find them at mabelhouse.org. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felicien. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Thank you.